As we continue together in the season of Lent, we turn to Luke's gospel again. And last week we read the last part of the 13th chapter. Today we're backing up just a bit and reading the first part of the 13th chapter. Jesus has been speaking to the crowds, and this is what happens next. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Part of Lent, oh God, is to look at our own lives and our faith and our belief in light of the story that is called good news, part of Lynn is to reflect once again on who we are and who you are. As we continue along that road in this season, be present with us in this undertaking as we do this together. Challenge us where we need to be challenged and point us in the direction you would have us go, that we might be the people you would have us be. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Luke is trying to make two points with this reading we just read. The first point has to do with why bad things happen. Why do bad things happen? happen? It's a question that we confront in life at some point or another, if not many times in life. We are confronted with it, why bad things happen. And it's the same question that the people Jesus is speaking to are asking him. It's implied, but it's there. We know they're asking it because of the way he responds to them. Why do bad things happen? Why did Pilate 
murder those Galileans when all they were doing was heading to Jerusalem to make their annual sacrifice? Why did the watchtower at Siloam fall on those folks, all those people? Why did bad things happen? Why did we have another shooting just over a week ago in the Netherlands? Why do bad things happen? And the thing is, in the story, what's also implied by the way that Jesus talks to them is that they seem to think they have the right answer. They think they know the answer to that question of why bad things happen. The people's answer is to say that bad things happen to bad people. That somehow, suffering is always deserved. That's their answer. And it's not an unbiblical answer, necessarily. There are a number of texts in the Old Testament that you can go to that seem to lean that way, and perhaps the people are taking those texts to mean that that's what it says, and like Deuteronomy 28, that talks about obedience to the Torah brings blessing, while disobedience to the Torah brings a curse. So maybe they're pulling on those as part of their belief. Whatever it is, they're led to believe that that is their answer and that's what they think. And so that's what they say to Jesus. But the thing is in this story, he won't have any of it. None of that. He's not buying it. So you're telling me, he says, that those Galileans who suffered are somehow worse sinners than all the other Galileans. So you're telling me that the watchtower, when it fell on those particular people, that somehow they are worse than all the others living in Jerusalem? He's not buying it. If you ever want a text in the Bible that debunks the notion that when random tragedy strikes, it is somehow deserved. This is it. The people around him are trying to point fingers because they think that that's the right thing, but Jesus isn't letting them get away with it. Suffering is not deserved. Thing is, though, when you realize that, you also realize that he doesn't really answer the question. Probably because that question doesn't have an answer that will ever satisfy. What he does instead is he takes the opportunity to lift up the importance, therefore, of working through what you do believe. That's what he means in part when he says repent or you will perish like all the others who aren't working through what they believe. He's saying it that way. Repent. Turn around from this way of thinking that you have and embrace instead a belief that doesn't point fingers. It's important. Perhaps the most important thing you could do. And it's the first point Luke is trying to make. 
Keep working on what you believe. The second point comes with the sharing of the parable of the fig tree. The landowner who doesn't see the fig tree producing anything so tells the gardener to chop it down. The gardener says, well, just wait. Wait a while. Let, let me work on it. See what... At first glance, with these two together, you kind of don't see the connection. They don't seem to relate at all or have any, anything in common, these two stories, a conversation about why bad things happen and, and this parable of the, the fig tree. But Luke is intentional about placing them together. That much is clear. And what he's trying to do is, as we've said, use this first part to motivate us to understand the importance of working through what we believe. And then he's using the parable of the fig tree to illustrate for us why that's important. Why? Lutheran professor David Lowe's suggests that in the parable, we are like both the fig tree and the landowner, and God's the gardener. We're like the fig tree. We, we look in the mirror, and we don't always like what we see. We look at our lives, and we don't think our lives are producing much. We get discouraged with ourselves, and we lose confidence in ourselves. We're like the fig tree. Then we're also like the landowner. We get impatient. When something doesn't seem to be doing any good, we're ready to get rid of it. Chuck it, we say. It's not doing any good. Get rid of it. It's not going to do anything. Chop it down. But that's when God, as the gardener, turns to us and says, don't get too discouraged with yourself. Don't, don't give up just yet. Give it a little time. Wait and see what happens. Again and again, the gardener turns to us and says, don't give up. Keep going. Why? Because God is not finished with us yet. As David Los again puts it, the, this is a God who digs deep into the roots of our soul and, and loosens the soil, creating the conditions for us to continue to bear fruit. Even though bad things sometimes happen, even though we get discouraged and lose confidence and may be ready to give up on something, the truth Jesus shares with us today is that God is not finished with us. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that there is nothing more God has in store for you because it is simply not true. There's always 
more to come. You can count on that. This week I learned of a story that I had not heard before about a guy from Iran who now runs a restaurant in the Texas Hill Country. And he tells his story. He says, when I was 13 living in Tehran with my family, I looked at my father and I said, Dad, I want to move to America when I'm 18, which is when I was, you can do that. And my father turned to me and told me all the things that I already knew I'd have to do to make that happen. He said, well, uh, you're going to have to complete your required military service to the country. You're going to have to pass the required English exam. Uh, you're going to have to be accepted to a school over in America, and we'll have to show proof of that. And you'll need to raise $5,000, which was a lot at the time. A lot now, it's a lot at the time. And he didn't think I'd be able to do it, especially raise the money. I mean, he just didn't think I'd be able to raise the money. And, but I started that right away. I found a job where I worked eight to three every day, and then I went to night school after that. I completed my military requirement, and I took the English exam, and let me tell you, it was hard. Um, I didn't know the answers to most of the questions, so I just guessed and I got a 90. <laughs> I still believe to this day, he says, that God was with me in that very moment as I took that test. And lo and behold, I did all of that and I raised the money. So when I was 18, I moved to America. Left my family, it was hard. And in my first, I wasn't here very long when the Carter administration had begun their negotiations, if you remember it, with the hostages in Iran. And, and part of the deal they had to make was to send back all of us who did not have a green card. And I was one of them. I just had a work visa. But I, of course, did not want to go. I was had just started dating a girl at the time and so the family told me that they would allow me to marry their daughter so that I could get a green card. And then after six months, which is the time it takes, I'd have to divorce her because, you know, they just didn't see this thing working out. So that's what we did. Six months later, I get my green card and I go to the parents and I say to them, I say, okay, I've got my card, I'm good, but I love your daughter, and will you allow me to marry her for real? And we're still together today, he shares. Then he goes on to talk about how after that, I looked for any job I could find. I was, I was in the restaurant business. That's what I knew I was going to do because I knew that kind of world. And so I took any job I could get, dishwasher, busboy, guy at the door, whatever you could give me, I took. And then I finally got to the point where I started waiting tables. And that's when I made the big money. <laughs> yeah. 
and I worked for one restaurant and then another one and then another one in town and I learned everything I could about that industry and about that world to the point where I finally got enough gumption to go out on my own and open a burger joint and that one ran for a little while and it did fairly well. But life, he says, has a way of taking you where it wants to take you. One day, three business people, successful bigwigs from in town, right, came into my place and they said, we want to open a Mexican restaurant and we have the money, but you have the know-how. And so we want you to be a full partner with us. Well, I jumped on that. But I had no clue about everything there is to know about Mexican food. So I had to do all this research and I put recipes together and I, I put a menu together, you know, and I didn't know names, so I just made up names for stuff and put it on the menu and then we got it. And that's kind of how it got going. This is not any ordinary restaurant. Over time, and to this day, it is one of the more well-known stops for those visiting Kerrville, Texas in the Texas Hill Country. Presbyterians heading to and from Mo Ranch know it by the name Mamacitas. There's more. Every five years, he still returns to Iran where he has started a foundation for those who have nothing, particularly divorced women. Why? Because when you're a divorced woman in Iran, you are put at the bottom of society. You lose status, you lose ability, and he says, as he puts it, I know what it means to have nothing. So when I meet them, I say to them, here is enough to support you for two years. Beyond that, God might just change your life. Now, do you think God is finished with a guy like that? I don't. Not for a second. And God is not finished with you either. God's not finished with you or with me or this church. Yes, sometimes bad things happen, but we keep working on what we believe in light of all of that and because of all of that and even alongside that because this is a God who keeps digging deep into the roots of our soul and loosening the soil to create the right conditions for us to continue to bear fruit. There is always more to come. Believe it. Count on it. Amen.